The Bible reading is from Proverbs, chapter 26, on page 534 of the Church Bibles. Proverbs 26, starting at verse 13. A sluggard. A sluggard says, there is a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming in the streets. As a, do- as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Um, Let's just say I am talking about the sluggard this morning, and I don't think, um, I think what Leon said is accurate. Uh, it wasn't a Freudian slip or whatever. It's true. So we're going to jump into this. Um, a couple of months ago, uh, Shauna signed us up uh, for the gym because, in her words, uh, when you get into physical shape, which is good for you, uh, it also helps your mental shape or some dumb mumbo-jumbo like that. Um, <laughs> Now, normally, I, I don't think of myself as being in need of exercise or, or being out of shape. Uh, I still feel young, even though I, I turned 40 a few days ago. Uh, I, I'm still young and, and cool and hip. Um, and I certainly don't need to go to the gym. Well, it turns out I didn't really have a choice uh, because Shauna told me that we're going to take some gym classes together, whether I wanted to or not. Fine. Uh, and so I, I rocked up to this class called High Intensity Interval Training. <laughs> now, uh, it's a class that's divided into sections. You do like the series of rotations of different exercises, and then you do that for a period of time, and then you go on to the other one. And so like uh, the first 15 minutes or so, uh, we start going, and I'm just kind of laughing at how easy it is, right? It's like you just do some of these, you just do some of that. And then you do some of these, right? And then you go for a run. You just go for a run outside. You run to the gate. It's like 50 meters or something, and you run back. And I'm like, okay, that's easy. I certainly don't need this. And I look around at the other people who are in the class with us, and it's mainly like 60-year-old men or women who just had babies. And I think, I don't fit in here. This isn't my crowd. Uh, I, I'm above this, right? Maybe, uh, maybe I should have taken a harder class uh, to start off with. Well, then after that first 15 minutes, they then start the next rotation of these uh, uh, things that you have to do, and they um, they tell us that we have to drop down and do these things called burpees. I don't know if you know what they are. You just like go like this, and you do a push up, and you jump up, and you do this, and you do it again, and you go on, and you do this, and you do it like 374 more times, right? <laughs> And then you have to get on a stationary bike and ride like a whole kilometer in like 30 seconds or something. And then you have to get on a jump rope and jump like 50 times in a row without like stopping. And uh, it, it was, I started to realize something during that second interval. Uh, and I looked around at those 60 year old men going through those three rotations at, at the same speed it was taking me to just do one of them. And the brand new moms look like Rocky Balboa jumping over that rope 50 times in a row. And I'm in the corner just sweating and crying and wishing for death because I keep, the jump rope keeps hitting me in the head and I have to start all over again. 
And then now I remember that the most exercise I've actually done in the last few months is when I've been uh, sitting on the couch and I have to, like, switch directions on how I lay as I'm watching Netflix. You know, I'm, like, watching Netflix for a while. I'm like, oh, this is comfortable. I'm gonna just, okay, that's better. Right? And that's, that's kind of all of my exercise in the last few months. And uh, the class went on and on. I'm already out of breath. It's great. And uh, by the end, those old men and those new mamas strolled out uh, of the class uh, saying how great a workout that was and giving each other high fives with smiles on their faces. And meanwhile, Shauna is telling me to stand up and stop embarrassing her because I'm, I'm lying on the floor saying, I just need a few more minutes, just, just a few more minutes. Now, in that 45-minute class, I realized something that uh, has always been true about me. That is, I am a sluggard. I am incredibly lazy. Now, you might think, well, being out of shape does not necessarily mean, Travis, that you're lazy. And maybe that's true, because maybe laziness doesn't have much to do with uh, your physical actions. We'll get into that in a second. Because when I think about it, maybe... I think that lazy people are often, they spend most of their time doing absolutely nothing at all. Uh, A lazy person probably wouldn't even attempt to go to the gym, right? And if that's how we define laziness, of someone just lying around, doing nothing at all, I would argue that I have not met a single person in my church or in my community who fits that description of being someone who's that lazy. I don't know if you have, but I haven't. And so, if that's what laziness is, and that's what we're supposed to be talking about, well done, everybody. Pat yourself on the back. Let's all go home and celebrate. It's Australia Day. Woo! Right? Well, before we get ahead of ourselves, I think we should at least explore how God defines laziness. The Bible actually has a lot to say about the sluggard, about the lazy person. And as I started researching this, I discovered something. I discovered that I actually am lazy, And it has really little to do with how many star jumps or push-ups or whatever I can do. Um, It's not because I'm out of shape or I've been embarrassed by 60-year-olds. It has something to do with something else. So let's dive in and explore God's wisdom here. Now, there are over a dozen different references in the book of Proverbs alone to the sluggard, to the lazy person. Uh, Let's have a look at some of those verses and start to put a picture together of how the Bible views laziness These should come up on the screen. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 24 says, A sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and he will not even bring it back up to his mouth. This is the classic definition of what we think a lazy person is, right? Uh, It gives us this word picture of someone who's so lazy that they're like lying on the sofa, they reach down uh, to grab their, I don't know, Doritos or whatever, and they're so lazy that they think, oh, even this effort of bringing it back up to my mouth is so hard, I just won't even bother. I'm just going to leave my hand down in the dish, right? Uh, Being a sluggard means that you view simple tasks as too difficult to carry out, according to this verse. Here's another one, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. It says, sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. Now this sentiment is similar to the previous verse. Someone who is lazy won't put in any sort of work. Yet in this example it says that they still expect an outcome despite not having put any effort in. To spin this 
maybe a different way that some of us might understand, or if we have kids or grandkids, it might help us understand. You might say that the sluggard is the student who waits until the absolute last minute to do their assignment, and when their marks come back, they are quite surprised that they didn't receive a distinction. That's kind of saying it the same way. Uh, Maybe you've met someone like that. Maybe you've done something like that. Laziness here is a lack of hard work, but it's also uh, a, a lack, a shock that your lack of hard work didn't produce some sort of beneficial outcome for you. Uh, moving on, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 13, says this. A sluggard says, there is a lion outside, I'll be killed in the public square. Isn't that a great quote? What's that all about? Well... This proverb is about someone who makes crazy excuses to get out doing something, right? They imagine something. Uh, he's been in, maybe this person's been invited out. Uh, maybe he's got a job he's got to get to or whatever. Uh, but the slothful person will create imaginative reasons uh, and maybe even believe that these reasons are true for why they should not be doing this thing that requires effort. Right? Uh, I don't want to go to work today because, hey, there's, there might be a lion in the square, right? What are the chances that that would actually happen? But in case it does, well, I don't want to get devoured, so I'm just, I'm just gonna stay at home today. Chuck a sickie. Right? It's, it's the classic, well, I'm washing my hair that day excuse. But the lazy person constantly creates this sort of narrative where they make up their own reality to avoid dealing with the reality that the rest of us live in. Uh, one more, Chap- uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26 says this, As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are sluggards to those who send them. In other words, lazy people bring grief and pain into relationships because of their unwillingness to do the hard yards. Uh, now, I've never tried vinegar on my teeth before. I don't know how that feels. But I have had smoke in my eyes. Uh, when you have smoke in your eyes, your eyes get all red and dry and itchy and inflamed. It's really uncomfortable. You can't focus. It stings. And when you have a, this proverb is saying, when you have a lazy person in your life like that, they have that same sort of effect on you that smoke has on your eyes. Why? Because if you rely on someone who refuses to carry out a task for you, it's costly to you. Now, from these verses, we can gather that the sluggard is someone who refuses to do work, to plan ahead, to do hard things, uh, or anything that requires effort, who is slow, exceedingly lazy, gluttonous, constantly makes fanciful excuses, can't finish what they've started, and they bring grief onto themselves and others unnecessarily. Now, when I look at those descriptions of laziness, I think, well, that really doesn't sound like me. Not, not quite. Right? I, I, at least I don't think it sounds like me. I, I've never had a moment where I've stuck my hand in a bowl and have been so lazy I can't bring it back up or whatever. Um, and I don't know if these verses apply to that many of us. Maybe they do. Maybe they hit you right where you're at. I don't know. But when I think of myself and I think of the other people that I surround myself with, uh, I don't know how many of these verses describe those people, at least not directly. And if they did, I'm unaware of it. But we're, we're not done. The Bible has actually a lot more to say about laziness uh, than this. So turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. It's on page 959 in the church Bibles. It's easier just to look at this on our pages than try to put it on a screen for you. So uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 
starting on page 959, if you have the Blue Church Bibles. Um, 2 Thessalonians is the second of a series of letters Paul wrote to a church in Thessalonica in modern-day Greece. Um, It was a church he helped plant during his journeys. Uh, You can read about that more uh, on your own in Acts chapter 17. Uh, Sometime later, Paul leaves this church to plant other churches, but he maintains correspondence uh, with this church in Greece. And they apparently had some questions for Paul and some unique issues that they faced as a growing church. And one thing that was apparent in Paul's theology is that the idea that Jesus' return was imminent. A lot of people in the early church, uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, believed that he was actually going to come back in their lifetime. And you see this in several places throughout the New Testament. And one of them is right here. Um, You see this... this language expressed that Jesus was going to come right away and restore the kingdom of God and um, restore the world and make everything right again. They believed it was going to happen in their lifetime. And in the church of Thessalonica, this, uh, that idea created a really unique problem within the church community. Have a look, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 6. It says this, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Now, what's going on here? Um, There's a group of people in this church community who believe that Jesus is going to return soon. uh, So they stop being beneficial and contributing members of society. Right? They, they, They think, well, if Jesus is coming back like tomorrow, what's the point in going into work? Maybe you've thought about that yourself. Right? Well, why should I be doing any of these things I'm doing if Jesus is going to come? And so, um, instead, they stop doing anything productive, they stop working, and they take and take and take from people without giving anything. And Paul says that they are idle, which is another word for lazy. Um, and that's the sort of definition that we looked in Proverbs, isn't it? People who, due to their lack of pro- productivity, create grief for others. Paul, but Paul's understanding of laziness is a bit more nuanced than that. Uh, have a look at verse 11 again. He says, We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Uh, Paul's definition of idleness or laziness is not merely people who refuse to do work. He calls them busy bodies. Um, that is, they're busy without actually being busy. If you were to get down to the bare bones of the original Greek version of this verse, here's how you would translate it. It might come up on the screen for us, verse 11. Um, It says this, We hear that some are walking around out of order. They are not doing work that matters, but busy themselves with things that do not matter. 
They are not doing work that matters, but busy themselves with things that do not matter. When you look at this definition of laziness, Paul is saying that laziness is not merely just doing nothing. Laziness is also projecting the image of busyness without doing anything purposeful, productive, or helpful. In other words, laziness can mean busying yourself with things that don't ultimately matter. Well, if you take that definition on top of the the things that we read about in Proverbs uh, about what laziness is, we discover two different things. Uh, First, laziness demonstrates a total misunderstanding of work. Now, if we had time today, uh, I'd explore the biblical understanding of what work is. That's a whole other sermon, but we don't have time to do that, so I'll try to summarize it for us. Um, A lazy person views work as an enemy to be avoided, to get out of, um, and instead of a way to demonstrate God's creativity and productivity. Um, work is a reflection of God's very nature. Work is, is how God expressed his own creative uh, creativity, and work is how God provides for the world. We see this in Genesis 1 when God speaks and stars are flung into space and vegetation springs up from the ground. And work was present before sin even came into the world. It was how the first humans reflected God's image to tend to a garden and enjoy the literal fruit of their labor. Uh, It was a joyous expression of how God created us to be. But a lazy person does not see work this way, as this creative and purposeful expression of being God's image bearers. Laziness skews this understanding of work um, so that we work incorrectly. We resent work. We avoid work. We complain about it. We make up excuses to get out of it. We dread Mondays. Um, And this misunderstanding of work means, as Paul informs us, that we also fill up our calendar with things that don't build us up, that don't contribute to the world, and don't display God's goodness. Instead of doing things that matter, that produce fruit, that speak of who God is to the rest of the world, we do the opposite. We are busy. We're busy bodies, but we're busy with things that don't matter. It's why you talk to anyone on the northern beaches and you say, hey, how's it going? And you're like, oh, I'm really busy. But if you spend time actually talking with a lot of people, you'll discover that people are often busy with things that don't really matter, that don't build themselves up, that don't build anyone else up. It's what we all do. So that's the first thing we learn about laziness. The second thing is this. Laziness distorts the biblical command to rest well. To a lazy person, rest is not viewed as this purposeful time to be refreshed by the Lord and enjoy the fruit of our hard work, but a time to fulfill our hedonistic desires for pleasure and turning ourselves off uh, of things that really will fill us up. So lazy people will also rest incorrectly, right? By binging on Netflix or sleep or eating or holidaying without allowing God to refresh us, without being thankful without being reflecting on the beauty and creativity and productivity of the things that we've been up to. It's no wonder why people come back from holidays feeling more exhausted than before they left, or why we feel so horrible going into work on Monday after spending our whole weekend driving our kids around to soccer games or having other people over or having Star Wars marathons. Trust me, I've tried that. Um, Or even, I'll throw this out there, and this might shock you, Even spending time at church, sometimes we do that wrong. 
We come here to tick a box or whatever instead of actually trying to meet with God and see what he has to say to us and let ourselves be filled up with him. And these things are not necessarily sinful or, or evil things. It's not evil to watch Netflix or go on holiday or anything like that. But God has designed us to rest well and find energy in him, the one who sustains us. Not in cramming all the things that we can't do during the week into this short space of time and hoping that somehow that's going to fill us up and make us full. This is why I know deep down that I'm actually a lazy person. And it actually has nothing to do with the fact that I'm really, really, really out of shape. Um, But because I've misunderstood the biblical model of work and rest. That day in the gym, it hit me in the face just as my body was physically out of shape. So was my calendar. Uh, So was how I rested. So was my attitude about work. Because laziness is not just about doing nothing. I'm actually quite a busy person. And I would figure that many of you would say the same thing about yourself. But my laziness is due to the fact that I work and concentrate often on things that don't matter in the end. And then I rest incorrectly so that I feel more drained than when I even started. If that's the case, what's the solution for us to laziness then? Well, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. It's only a few pages back on page 955 of your blue church Bibles. Paul again here in Colossians 3 is talking to a church community like ours. And after explaining that God created the world through Jesus and that life is best lived when we live in rhythm with how he designed this world and us to be, he gives some instructions to this church regarding rest and work. Have a look at Colossians 3, starting in verse 15. Paul says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, if you want to analyze uh, this verse based on those two ideas of laziness being a misunderstanding of work and rest... Paul answers how we get that right in these verses. Verses 15 to 16 are his solution to how we rest well. He says, how do we rest well? He says, we experience the peace of Christ. He encourages us to stop and take time and be thankful. He instructs us to let Christ's words dwell in us. That we fill ourselves up with God's truth and align ourselves with that truth. And that is where wisdom is found. He tells the church to cultivate gratitude in their midst, to be a community that looks uh, for how God has been at work rather than simply people who complain. And he says that when we rest well when we speak and teach and sing about Jesus. The second part, verse 17, he is the solution of how we work well. He says, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus with thankfulness in your heart. He says, instead of viewing work as an enemy to be avoided or going into that project or that assignment or that relationship uh, that you have in your workplace, um, instead of thinking that you're just going into these things uh, and that you're having to sacrifice your time and energy to the man or coworkers that you don't like or or whatever, he says actually that uh, we can change our perspective. 
that everything you do can actually be an opportunity to express the creativity and giftedness that God has given you to be productive. So, even if your job is cleaning out septic tanks or neutering rabid grizzly bears or some crazy job like that, he says when we view work this way as an opportunity to see God uh, and glorify God in every area of our life, even in our work, even in the things that we don't like, if we have that perspective that it is all for Jesus, that we're doing this for him, you will start to experience a joy and purpose in whatever you're doing, even if you'd rather avoid work altogether. So the challenge for me and for us, I think, is simply not to be lazy, to not try and get out of things because they're too hard, to not fill our calendars up with things that ultimately don't refresh us, but to make space for Jesus, the one who shaped us, who knows how we function best, and to find our rest and do our work for him. Uh, And if you'd like to know and explore what it means to work well and rest well, uh, I'd love to chat with you and discover how we can do that together. Uh, This series, as we started um, a few weeks ago, was meant to help us see that wisdom is found in lining ourselves up with how God designed the world to be and find ourselves living in that way of that wisdom. My prayer is that we will all be characters who listen to wisdom's call and respond. And I think the best way that we can uh, finish up is by sharing communion together. Communion is this act instituted by Jesus on the night before he died. We took a piece of bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he instructed them to take and eat. And he told them that when they do it, it's remembering that this is his body broken for them. And then he took a cup and he encouraged them to drink. That whenever they did that, they would be reminded that this is his blood shed for them. And that every time they did this, they'd remember Christ's death and and his resurrection and what that means to have life in him. Proverbs over and over and over again states uh, this refrain that uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you really want to live a wise life, it starts by fearing the Lord. And that, that word fear doesn't mean to like cower that God's some angry God and you're some sinful person and God's going to squash you at any time. That's not exactly what that means. But fear simply means acknowledging God's bigness as com- compared to your smallness. God's unlimitedness compared to your limitedness. God's holiness and greatness compared to your brokenness. Now, when you do that, you realize there's, there's no way I could ever get to God on my own. But wisdom is understanding that God made a way for you. And that our job is to simply show up and respond to what we know, that God has sent his son to live and die for us. And that when we find ourselves in him, then we'll experience life as it was meant to be lived. So we're going to just take some time and end this series by taking these simple elements, taking a piece of bread and eating it and holding on to the cup for a minute and then we'll drink it together as a sign of that wisdom is found in following Jesus, that he is the one who died and rose again, that we may have life and life in his name.